Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This activity entitled, Enhancing Medication Adherence, Retention, and Care for Hepatitis B Patients, is provided by Global Education Group and the Asian Health Foundation, and is supported by an unrestricted educational grant from Gilead Sciences Incorporated. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Hello, welcome to our med talk on enhancing medication, adherence, retention in care for hepatitis B patients. In the next 15 minutes, we will discuss the challenges on uh, how uh, we can keep the patients in care and hope to share with you some tips on how to engage the patients. This is relevant, particularly now with the current situation with COVID. And with great pleasure, I would like to introduce my two colleagues, Dr. Raymond Chung and Dr. Douglas Dietrich. Hi, my name is Ray Chung. I'm Director of Hepatology in the Liver Center at the Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston. This is Doug Dietrich. I'm the Director of the Institute for Liver Medicine at Mount Sinai Health System in New York. Great. Thanks so much, Dr. Chung and Dr. Dietrich, for joining us today. I would like to go directly in and ask Dr. Jung first on what your experience is in terms of percent of patients in your practice you think would follow up with you regularly, like every six months or so, and what do you think the national reward estimate is for this situation? It's a great question. Well, fortunately, I would say in, in chronic hepatitis B, we are blessed to have a once daily therapy that is extremely well tolerated and, and requires minimal monitoring in the big picture. So with uh, that in mind and an educated group of patients, I think my adherence to medications has, has been in the range of 90%. Adherence both to medications and, generally speaking, follow-up appointments. I'd say the national real-world estimate is, is probably a little bit closer to, say, 75% or so. One uh, systematic review of about 20,000 chronic hepatitis B patients on nuke analog therapy suggested uh, a figure right in that range. Interestingly, the, the adherence between high income and then middle and low income patients appeared to be quite similar in this regard. That's great. Now, what do you think some of the consequences of non-adherence to medication as well as non-adherence to liver cancer surveillance or monitoring of disease activities? Yeah, it's a many-fold set of consequences. The first and, and perhaps most immediate threat, at least when it, with regard to non-adherence to medications, would be the real risk for the development of, of a virologic flare. Uh, the loss of control could lead to a significant uh, rise in liver enzymes and, and in a worst-case scenario, the development of uh, significant hepatitis or, or even liver failure. Additional potential consequences would include the promotion of virologic resistance, particularly with intermittent adherence and then non-adherence back and forth raises potentially the stakes for the development of, of, of that complication. And then in terms of, of failure to adhere to visits and monitoring and screening, uh, there are certainly as well the concerns for clinical outcomes like uh, hepatocellular carcinoma, which of course 
most of our patients are going to be at, at elevated risk for. And these individuals, if they don't adhere to uh, a screening schedule, do run the risk for detection of, of these kinds of complications uh, late in the, in the course of, of disease. This is why recommendations for typically every six-month screening are in place so that we can actually maximize our likelihood of, of early detection of these of these lesions. So one fear of non-adherence is late or later detection of HCC, for instance. So, you know, I think that, you know, in our practice, I think most of physicians would tell the patients they need to do this every six months and advise the benefits and the potential problems. But despite of that, the adherence issues remains a problem. Uh, what are some of the causes or, or barriers to patients being able to come and do tests every six months or stay on treatment uh, long term, do you think? Well, there there are several of them, and certainly the fact that uh, there are disruptions in, in in one's life, planned and unplanned, that uh, that that get in the way of of either visits, monitoring uh, laboratories, or even refills of medications, and, and unfortunately, this happens on a sporadic but fairly predictable basis. Uh, travel certainly uh, can wedge itself into the picture. The fact that patients are asymptomatic and and sometimes I think uh, forget that they're that they have a condition that needs uh, to be monitored and surveilled is sometimes a reason for, for folks getting out of sync with their, their schedules. And cost certainly can be a factor when it comes to the refilling of, of medications in large, uh, in some instances, uh, co-pays for prescriptions, which end up being a deterrent to refilling these essential medications. So uh, really a number of factors. Actually, may I jump in here, Mindy? Um, I yeah, think there's two, two things that, I, that particularly are important to recognize with that, I have a, many patients that go to Hong Kong for the winter, and and they they will miss appointments, you know, because of that. And then I had a couple of patients who go to India for the winter. Uh, actually, one of whom was a cardiologist who just retired with a HCC that we had taken care of, and was in full 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 remission. And he was actually in very adherent, really was uh, careful about his visits. But he came back from India with a new HCC and 100,000 IUs of HBV DNA, and I, I was, I was a little upset. Uh, I said, well, "Weren't you taking your tenofovir?" And he says, "Yeah, every day." I said, "Where did you get it?" He said, "Oh, at the corner drugstore in India." And I said, "Well, if you were taking M&Ms because that was counterfeit tenofovir," and he, and he said, "Well." It said the name of a of a very reputable generic maker. I said, obviously, it, it, it's really important for our patients who who spend the winter or travel overseas to understand that 15 or 20 percent of the medication they uh, they might buy over there is counterfeit. So fortunately, this guy's HCC uh, responded the second time to treatment, and now he he gets all of his medication in the U.S. before he leaves for India for the winter. So another important problem with adherence may not be the patient's fault, uh, actually, if they go overseas. Yes, actually, people buy more and more medications online now outside of the U.S. Uh, I have had some patients who told me that they do that. So I, I'm going to move to the COVID issues now. I think that we all have seen patients' clinic volumes and clinic visits uh, to be down uh, during the COVID time overall. And so I want to ask both doctors, uh, especially Dr. Dietrich, because uh, you are from New York, the epicenter of COVID in our country, 
What, We're not the epicenter anymore, actually. Uh, yes, it's now that's Florida. Right. And California, where I am now. <laughs> <laughs> and it could be Mississippi <laughs> soon. Yes, actually, COVID has been a bit of a huge issue because we stopped seeing regular patient visits, uh, except for basically decompensated cirrhosis and HCC for about three months during the um, the worst of the of the COVID time in New York, and. We've pretty much restored uh, our our clinics pretty close to normal now, but uh, there's still a lot of reluctance on on many patients with um, hepatitis B to come in for visits. They're less reluctant to go to outside radiology for uh, ultrasound or MRI screening, but getting blood drawn is um, is is more of a problem. Even though we could send them to LabCorp or Quest or some other commercial lab for labs, they're still kind of reluctant because they're afraid people are going in there for COVID tests. So it's difficult to, you know, to get to get lab tests done. Even if we're seeing the patients by via telehealth, which is quite common nowadays, most most of our docs are doing one or two sessions a week of telehealth and the patients love it, you know, in order to follow our Hep B patients, we need imaging and we need labs. So um, imaging has been less of an issue, but labs ha- have been a big uh, stumbling block for our, for our folks. I don't know, Ray, you're having the same problems? Uh, absolutely. You know, and we, we've had to become resourceful and creative in, in how we deal with uh, these, these issues. I mean, certainly we have had to educate them and and use either carrot or stick approaches to to try to uh, motivate them to to come in for either tests or ultrasounds or, or other imaging studies, but it does underscore the importance of coming up with with perhaps more durable solutions as we deal with the aftermath of the, of the pandemic, like home blood draws or home point of care testing to perhaps you know as we're doing with other viruses, look at viral loads using a rapid home home based approach, for instance, or or at least mailing in a home blood draw. Into uh, into an independent laboratory for reading. We have to explore, I think, a number of possible solutions, at least for long-term monitoring questions. We've been doing the home home visits by MDs for clinical trial visits, too, and then of course they're they're doing the blood draws at the same time. The clinical trials have been affected greatly by by COVID as well, since um, the patients are staying at home, and we haven't been opened up the the clinical trials unit. Yeah, so to keep the patients in the clinical trials, we've had to, or the companies have frequently, or the uh, the CROs have been sending docs to the patients' homes to to see to, to do a, a physical, do a visit and draw blood. Uh, it, yeah, it's definitely required some creative solutions. Before we close, I want to bring up one thing that I uh, I'm pretty sure you may have observed too is that the COVID brings out the disparity even more than before. So from my experience, you know, we do almost all telehealth visits here uh, in California at this time because of, of the research over here. And the own patients, the immigrant patients with less economic resources to have reliable computer and Internet, and the patients who have limited language abilities, these patients are actually has been the hardest hit. They cannot get on the, the telehealth. We can barely do telephone uh, with some of these patients. And especially the older patients, uh, it's even more difficult. And our hepatitis B patients, uh, 70% of them are immigrants. So I think that uh, as far as hepatitis B is concerned, we may see even more problems or disparities. 
as this goes on. Yeah, particularly older patients don't don't tend to have smartphones that uh, that they can use for for telehealth visits. Yeah, I wonder at at, at this point in time whether we ought to be again applying resources like patient navigators who who may again be uh, facile in the in the languages of origin of, of 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 many of these patients to actually act as sort of a group uh hep B patient navigator as the case might be i think again i think all options have to be on the table here for us to to try to reach out to a group that that uh, may have even less reason to come in to see us and inter- interface with us yeah if we don't have those we frequently have sons or daughters i mean more likely daughters to be able to to help the patients either on the telehealth visit or on the um, or bringing them in or getting them to radiology, et cetera. Great point. Great, thanks so much, Dr. Chung and Dr. Dietrich. I think that we hope to, to uh, have provide uh, everyone with some tips and uh, something to think about as we monitor our patients some of the issues that the patients face that we may be able to help them address and retain um, and keep the patients in care. Thank you, everyone. Thanks very much. Thank you, Mindy. Thank you. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is provided by Global Education Group and the Asian Health Foundation and is supported by an unrestricted educational grant from Gilead Sciences Incorporated. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com CME. Thank you for listening.